here we go again. Boom, boom, here we go again. Can you believe episode six already? Wow. Six already? Damn. I know, I'm racing through them. And, uh, How fucking good are we at this, man? <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know about that, but we're definitely getting the hang of it, I have to say. That's good. Hey everyone, welcome back to the 40k Fireside Podcast. We're here with episode 6, I'm here with Vic, we're back at it, I'm back from holiday, I'm playing Warhammer 40k in London, I'm having a good time, thinking about the game as well. So we've got some great stuff to share with you guys today. Uh, we're going to be chatting, well we're going to be breaking the podcast into two sections this time. So the first section we're going to be talking about the meta, straight into it, uh, insights into the meta after a few weeks of the balanced data slate, what's the game looking like right now after things have been updated. And how this ties into the meta of UKTC versus the GW uh, terrain, well, US Open, we've just had a big Kansas City event there, so we'll be discussing about that. And we're going to be providing some insight and uh, advice into how to think about event results and how much you should be taking into account event results if you're, say, going to your local meta or you're going to your local RTT. Uh, how do you, pr um, you know, prepare for your local meta in light of recent results around the world? Then in section B, we're going to be talking about the Coventry Super Major. This is the event this weekend that Vic and I are both attending. Uh, our teammates are attending that as well. Uh, it's a three-day Super Major, and then there's also a two-day side Major event there as well. Uh, so we're going to be going to that, and we'll be also talking about four lists that we've uh, got that we're going to analyze and take a look at. That's from Alex Harrison, uh, Nassim Fushain, Mike Porter, and Anthony Vanella. So we'll be chatting about what we like about those lists and uh, whether we expect them to do well. Then we're going to be talking about our own list, kind of what we're bringing to Coventry as well, uh, and some of the key practice games that we've had. And uh, after that, you know, who do we think is going to take it all? So if you're liking the sound of that, join us for uh, the first part, which we're going to get cracking into right now with none other than my main man, Vic BJ. How's it going, man? Hey, hey, Dave. Arn, welcome back to all the listeners for episode number six. Can you believe we have whizzed through to number six, Dave? Wasn't that crazy? <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I think like you know when we did the first episode, just to put it in, just to put it in uh, context, uh, the, you know, to listeners that the first episode was you know a little bit of stop and starting, but I think we've kind of got the groove now. We're learning how to uh, do all the back end side of things, and then how to kind of uh, improve our podcast bit by bit. And we've still had a lot of great feedback from people, and we really appreciate that. Uh, if you know you're dropping a comment or you're just saying to something us in Discord, like hey, you know, this is great. I'd love to see more of this. We, we do actually listen to all of that and we really try and incorporate it. There's a bit of planning before each episode that Vic and I really try and work on things there every time. So hopefully that's coming through as well. For sure. And uh, this time we, we've tried to incorporate a little bit of feedback. We, we received a great kind of almost an essay from Zach who organizes the UKTC events about ways of improving this and making this podcast more valuable. So we're going to try and um, kind of share some takeaway points with you guys who are listening that you can use to, to kind of improve yourself as competitive players. So yeah. uh, I hope you find that interesting. We received some good feedback from our teammate Malik as well. So we're going to try and keep things really nice and clean and smooth, just like he likes it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, without further ado, let's uh, get some jazz music on and swing over to section A. That wraps up part one. We hope you're enjoying listening, and we'll be back shortly with part two. Right, Vic, so it's been... 
long has it been since the last balance data slate update? A month, Ooh. maybe? A couple of weeks? Are we on a couple of weeks, I think? And this was the one where we talked about the previous episode when I was in France, uh, chatting about the pretty significant nerfs to uh, Leviathan Duranids, which I think was uh, definitely coming through this weekend. And then uh, some changes to uh, Necrons and, and Harlequins as well. So in light of this, what do you, do you think the meta is... And this is a tough question, but do you think the meta is better now in terms of its competitiveness and its balance than it was before the balance data slate? So our predictions from the previous episode were, I said that it's going to be pretty much roughly the same. Uh, and I think your predictions were that it was actually going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still I'm still on the train that it's it's roughly the same. There, There's a little bit of swinging around. Like, for example, we might not see as many Leviathan Nids or Light Harlequins, but realistically the harlequin faction and the tyrant faction are still at a very similar power level to where they are before mm. minus maybe the tiniest bit just knocks them down a little bit but i still think it keeps them as very strong armies and because the balance data slate was so light in its touch i feel like it's just a slight adjustment of armies and not very many armies getting adjusted so my opinion i think we're still roughly where we were before the balance data slate mm-hmm. your thoughts dave yeah well i think time will tell as well i think uh, what was interesting in Kansas is that there was no Turners in the top four, right? So I haven't looked at it yet, but I'd be interested to see the Turner win rates after the Coventry Super Major as well. So we have two weeks of uh, kind of big events that we'll see uh, what's happened with that faction in specific, which is interesting as well because I think Kraken is still really strong, and I think that's Kraken still a tier one uh, army as well. Notably, I'm not playing it because <laughs> I wanted a bit of a change. But yeah, I think the meta is... It's becoming a little bit hot, if you know what I'm saying. There's uh, <laughs> there's one unit which is uh, becoming more and more popular, which is the which is the flamer. So we'll have to see kind of how dominant the flamer is, and just how many lists kind of incorporate it. Uh, we're talking about the Zeech flamer, of course, as well. But I think that's the only thing that particular nail that I think a lot of people um, will will want to hammer in uh, for the meta as it currently stands. What do you think on that? For sure, I think uh, Flamers stand out as potentially the the most broken unit in the uh, in the game mm-hmm. at the moment, and I think it's going to get a lot of attention as people start to kind of identify the the armies where they can just add in mm-hmm. eighteen Flamers. Yeah. We uh, we had a little bit of drama last time about talking about adding Flamers into Empress Children, mm-hmm. and uh, that's pretty much been curbed completely by most. Um, most TOs have decided to rule against that, which yep. is great. Which is great, yeah. But there's still going to be armies like Creations of Bile and Thousand Suns who are going to get a lot from adding Flamers into their army and Chaos Demons from adding Flamers into their army. <laughs> I think the, the meta as it stands at the moment from just this last weekend, so we're working on very limited data and not UK events. We're working almost entirely on America mm. events, which is a, a big point we're going to be kind of discussing. Um, it looks like Chaos Demons came out as the strongest faction statistically, mm. and that's not even including factions kind of souping in um demons there so my statistics that i've got in front of me is that <laughs> there were seven uh no there were 11 armies which had flamers mm-hmm. which were x and one okay um in tournaments from this last weekend 32 plus player tournaments mm-hmm. the next highest was seven with necrons mm-hmm. so quite a big jump um so yeah the flamers are definitely carrying a lot of the power in the meta at the moment mm. Um, yeah, it is a. It's definitely a very prevalent unit, and I think it, or every time, at any point in time in Warhammer 40k, there is always a unit where people kind of gravitate to, and their thinking revolves around when considering their army and their army choices. 
I think Flamers is just that one that's currently at the top of the list, along with Chaos Space Marines Terminators as well. Uh, I think that's definitely a profile that people are thinking a lot about. Um, so those two things, considering how you can um, attack them and defend against them. Uh, flamers are definitely an interesting one because I think actually Flamers are such a dynamic unit that when when considering how your army tackles Flamers, it's not only the defensive profile or the offensive profile, but it's also the movement phase as well, right? So if you have fast units, you can tag Flamers, then actually that can almost completely nullify them. So not only do you got to think about um, you know offense and defense, but actually how can you how can you tag them? So all three parts of that uh, data sheet are causing people to think, which I think is a good thing overall, right? Like you you want something to be like that. I think so. the The issues with the flamers, like you said, are in multiple phases. Here, they're a unit which can inherently deep strike. They're a twelve inch moving infantry model, mm. um, and their output is extremely pushed. But all of this is pushed because the models are 25 points per model. Mm -hmm. Four Flamers, just simply being like an infantry unit that can move 12 inches and has Flamers on them, would be very strong. Let's say they all had heavy Flamers, Mm. just D6, strength 5, minus 1, 1 damage Flamers. That would be a strong unit, you know, Mm. a strong unit in pretty much any army. But they're AP minus 2. They have inherent deep strike. They have lots of buffs, which you can put on the Flamers. Mm-hmm. And they come with a 3-plus invuln against shooting and 3 wounds base. They're really, <laughs> really pushed. Um, but they the interesting thing is there are ways of dealing with these very strong units, both the Chaos Terminators and also the Flamers. And um, I don't know, have you? I guess you played with the Flamers. Have you found any good strategies to deal with them as well? Yeah, because I think I'm playing. So I'm playing Bellacore, which enables me to um, teleport Flamers out of combat, and that's the that's one of the biggest strengths of playing um, playing Demons and Bellacore. Some armies can't actually teleport the Flamers out of combat once you tag them up. So that's a good way of tackling them as well. On the Flamer note, I think people do tend to play them on the board as well they don't uh don't deep strike them very often at all because actually deep striking them makes them a lot less proactive than you would think and actually you want to sort of stage them on turn one and then have uh 12 plus d6 uh, movement and then additional 12 inch on top of that so you can actually get into the real juice of the army if they if they let you so um those are kind of the ways of tackling them I, yeah flamers are, are definitely good they're they're good and problematic slash um um, not problematic in a lot of different armies i think i think in demons demons as mono demons they are a necessary evil because i don't actually think because demons have some serious weaknesses and obviously shooting is a massive component of that so Mm -hmm. that kind of covers that floor for demons um whereas if you soup them into an army like thousand suns they cover not they don't cover a weakness that previously existed per se they only enhance an army, which is really powerful. And Thousand Suns can do a lot of mortals to pull out their flamers out of combat, which is an interesting uh, way to play around it as well. So, I, I would say, though, that when there's a unit that's particularly strong like this, let's say the flamers, let's focus on those, mm-hmm. um, you can almost assume when you go to a tournament, particularly immediately after changes like this, immediately after flamers become a very prevalent part like of discussion, you can assume you're going to be playing against a lot of them. Yeah. And they're a unit that is very susceptible to getting tagged, mm-hmm. getting killed in melee. If you can turn off their overwatch, it's quite powerful. So, for example, in my list, which we'll discuss further and that I'm taking to Coventry, I have multiple sources of ignore overwatch mm-hmm. from Howling Banshees and Exarch Power and my Swooping Hawks. I have multiple fast melee units that can go and reach the, uh, the Flamers. Mm-hmm. So, I think 
we all just have to be looking for ways to kind of tackle units that are like this. Mm -hmm. And you saw in the GW Kansas event that the Blood Angels player that played against Manny's Flamers and T-Suns in the finals, he had a whirlwind in his list. Mm. And the whirlwind was for a stratagem to allow uh, Overwatch to be ignored yep. on a unit that the whirlwind targets. That is such a clutch, clever kind of meta choice to make. Mm -hmm. And I think for list building for tournaments, if you want to just like tweak whatever army you have, just to add in tools to deal with things like flamers, I think that's a really strong way to build your army list. Yeah, definitely. Events. Yep. And that's uh, we'll talk about that in part two as well when we're talking about uh, what we're expecting and kind of some of the lists as well. But talking about flamers, Vic, what are your top three armies in the game right now? So, and I think this ties into us talking about UKTC versus GW mm -hmm. terrain. Because I'd say the two strongest armies, uh, probably the three, my opinion, is that Tau are right up there. And I think Tau are on a very similar level to Thousand Suns and Flamers. Mm -hmm. And I think Creations of Vile and Flamers and Empress Children. Those, like the Chaos Space Marine armies, yeah. are also right up there in that top three for me yep. um, at the moment. But saying that in UKTC, I think Flamers become even stronger. Really? I think Tau becomes even stronger mm. um, compared to GW terrain. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I think the Flamers is an interesting one because on UKTC, there's pros and cons. There's a little bit less dense, uh, obscuring terrain in the midfield. So there's less staging. And I think Flamers are particularly strong if you can stage them as well. In fact, I think that's where they really shine. Um, so it's interesting. I would agree that I think... Oh, it's tough. So I think the top armies, the top three, if I had to pick three, one on UKTC playing would be... I'm assuming Thousand Suns and Flamers has to be up there in the top three in no particular order because they could all, at the end of the day, win an event. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm super major. Thousand Suns and Flamers... I think Tau's up there as well. And then for me, it's a tie between Chaos Space Marines and Tyranids as well. I think that Kraken Tyranids are actually very, very strong right now. And actually are, after this weekend, I think they're going to go a little bit under the radar. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm seeing a lot more of these kind of mortal wound spammy Tyranid lists as well, mm -hmm. which uh, which I know are very strong. But yeah, the Kraken variant is is extremely strong. And actually, I would argue that Kraken and ha Twilight Harlequins, those two, are extremely good on the kind of Games Workshop US Open oh, terrain yeah. um, because of the reach of for melee units. That's that's kind of the defining factor. Fast moving shooter units are very good on UKTC and mm -hmm. WTC terrain. And fast-moving melee units are very good on Games Workshop terrain. Mm. That's why armies like Sisters of Battle get stuck in the middle. Mm. Despite having good secondaries, they're vulnerable to fast-moving shooting units, which makes them a bit uh, compromised on UKTC terrain. Yep. And they don't quite have the movement to bridge the gap between the large terrain pieces and deployment zones Definitely. in the US open terrain. So I think a big part of why we're seeing Sisters potentially struggle a little bit. So in light of the, so what an interesting point I think is, is that we've just named what we think, I guess, the top four, you know, three to five factions and uh, Blood Angel's not in there. So I think this goes on well until our next point is how do you analyze event results when, say, you live in the United States and you see, you know, UK events or WTC events, or you live in the UK and you see uh, US based events? What, how do you, how do you take into account uh, your, your list and then should, how much weight should you put on these events in general? Now, I think when 
when I think about what when, what I think about when I should reevaluate my army or should I be making serious changes to my army, I tend to, the big movers for me are the balanced data slate uh, or a particular archetype that's been invented. From event to event, I don't necessarily change my army depending on how an event in the United States performed or like SoCal or Bay Open or something like that, or you know what might have won that or something in Europe because at the end of the day, it, it is it is substantially different. For me, it's a, it's more of a mental note of saying, okay, that's that's interesting. Like they're doing their thing. Okay, that's cool. But I think a great example of this is that I played Leviathan Nids for just uh, six months maybe. And my list was the same, uh, you know, for the most part, like 1700 points. But what I did was I changed that 200, 300 points. Uh, I flexed that and optimized that. Uh, between my events just based on what i thought was going to come into the meta what are your thoughts on that yeah it's a tricky one because i think event results are heavily heavily uh kind of created by two significant factors which go under the radar and beyond just faction choice Mm -hmm. um, which makes the statistics hard to follow for particular regions and one is the terrain setup. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the single biggest thing which influences the meta and what is actually winning tournaments. Mm. And the second one is the kind of very successful competitive players in that particular meta. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of times, for example, you can take Innes using GSC at the moment, and he's going to come to great success with GSC, but that doesn't necessarily mean GSC is a top faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just seeing him win a major doesn't necessarily mean that GSC are the best faction in the game. Mm. It's it's really tough to analyze. And I think this last weekend was a good example of that. For example, Emperor's Children, absolutely nothing in any podiums. Mm-hmm. But we know Emperor's Children is very strong. And we know Emperor's Children is considerably stronger on UKTC terrain mm. than it is on Games Workshop Open terrain. So that would probably be my kind of key takeaway when it comes to analyzing event results. Focus on your own region and the terrain setups that you're going to be um, kind of playing in. And like Dave does, just keep a, like a little eye on the side for but potentially some innovations that come from other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. But just take them with a pinch of salt because, you know, uh, Jack Harpster's Twilight Harlequin list, very, very powerful on Games Workshop open terrain. But you are going to have serious issues hiding those big bricks of Harlequin troops on UKTC terrain. Mm. Um, and that level of analysis is not always talked about. And I really haven't heard any other podcast kind of discussing it. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a certain element of, I think we've all experienced this at some point when you come up against a player and they're playing maybe something suboptimal, right? Maybe you think it's suboptimal and you go, oh, that's a bit weird. He's playing this, but that player is confident and they go, okay, you might think this is suboptimal, but, but this, but I've got X game plan that I'm trying to, trying to accomplish. And I know it's strong because, you know, I'm either like an adept player at the game or I've had the reps in. There's something to respect about um, people that do that. And I think that ties in well into how to analyze events too. If your army is still executing a strong game plan, then at the end of the day, you're probably playing a strong army. And then I think the real decisions you need to consider are, okay, what are you expecting to, you know, lose against? Okay, how can you change the last, you know, 100 points to hedge a little bit towards that. This is something that I do a lot. I go, okay, I've got my core kind of list, you know, that bulk 90% of it. And then I go, okay, 
I'm really kind of worried about uh, Tau, for example, or maybe Elder. How do I move those last 100 points where I can actually just have specific units for very specific circumstances? So can I have a fast unit to clear two screens on turn one if I go second uh, versus Elder or, or Tau, for example, as well? So I can clear two screens with one cheap unit and then execute the rest of my game plan. And that unit might not be very good against other matchups, but I'm making a very direct uh, decision to tailor against those armies because of A, either the people that I know are going to go there, uh, or B, because I know that the army is becoming more popular in light of recent events in my region. And I guess I just touched on it. An important point too is understanding the players in your region is ultimately a, a very large contributing factor as well. And I'm assuming that not everyone may be as networked as Vic and I to understand kind of in real time what other players are thinking, but that's an important thing to do. So maybe if, you, if you're really trying to gun for it, Look at um, players that are going to be potentially attending and then see maybe what they've previously played. And then if you think there's a good chance that you'll play them in, uh, in very deep into the tournament, just have a little couple of tech pieces there because all of that definitely happens in the UK, right, Vic? Oh, 100%. And um, I mean, I think when we discuss our lists, like, mm. I know we both <laughs> added in tech pieces to deal with the meta that we are likely to be experiencing um and hopefully you know our viewers will be able to take some inspiration from some of those ideas definitely and uh, i think that leads us on nicely dave into um kind of moving on to our next section which is talking about the massive three-day coventry super major which is coming up in next weekend there we go we'll catch you guys in section b we'll be covering the coventry super major our lists some lists to look out for and uh who we'd put our money on at the end of the day <laughs> catch you guys then and that concludes part two we hope you're enjoying the fireside, and we'll see you momentarily for part three. All right, welcome back to our second section for 40k fireside. We're going to be talking about the Coventry Super Major, and we're going to jump straight into picking out uh, a few lists that we think are either very strong or very interesting. Mm. Um, and I wanted to jump straight in and talk about Harlequins, mm -hmm. uh, because Harlequins have been consistently one of the best performing armies in the game uh, since they've, they're released, regardless of multiple nerfs. And they've just taken another set of nerfs, um, mm. particularly to the light uh, sub-faction. Yep. And the particular part of it is that uh, essentially, the troops inside of boats can't advance with their transport and fire their pistols, mm -hmm. which doesn't sound like a lot, but actually it adds up to a significant decrease in the output of the army over a long range. Yep. So before, they used to kind of move the boat 22 inches and then shoot the fusion pistol 6 inches, the neuro pistols 12 inches. Um, that particular tactic doesn't work so well off moving 16 inches mm. because it's very easy to stay 22 inches away from one of those boats. It's very hard to stay 28 inches away from those boats on UKTC terrain. For sure. So uh, the first list and actually the first two lists I want to pick out, I'm going to pick out Mike Porter's list because uh, particularly I think Mike Porter is one of the best players in the world and one of the best players in the UK. And plays He's... Aldari a lot. Plays Harlequins for quite a long time, right? Yeah, he he does jump through a number of different factions, but he's been playing Harlequins recently. Mm -hmm. I think he's on. He's. Uh, I was checking uh, kind of the CRS that on, if you go on stat slash slat no stat 
dashcheck.com. Mm-hmm. You can see people's ELO or CRS rating, oh. which gives you their win loss and their rankings. Um, and Mike, I think, is on a single loss <laughs> for this this entire season and like thirty plus wins. <laughs> and he's got a huge number of those with Harlequins. He is still playing light for this event, which I find mm. quite interesting, and still taking uh, kind of the six, eight boats mm-hmm. and eight troop choices with two neuro disruptors and two fusion pistols in each troop squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much the same kind of list we see before. So what's going on here, Vic? Did, did Mike not read the balanced data slate? What's going on? I'm sure that he did. But I'm going to call you out here because I remember in the previous episode, you said yeah. that Twilight was really going to be shown as the, uh, as the up-and-comer after this. And I kind of said, but actually, I feel like Light, the Star Weaver, they just still, their shooting is, just seems still so reliable. What's kind of, what's going on here? Potentially, you, you might be right there. That I think Light is still incredibly strong. And I think we've probably prematurely decided that it's kind of dead mm. when actually, you know, still being able to advance with um, kind of your actual Star Weavers and shooting. Uh, is probably quite strong still. So, you know, I'd be really interested to see how Mike does during this event mm-hmm. with this list. He's got a lot of experience with it, but will the reduction in threat range, will the reduction in overall shooting output make a significant impact? Mm. Or does he just play the mission still very strongly and just carry on with his life as normal? We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, I think that's one that we definitely want to keep an eye on. But you've got, a, you've got a Twilight list oh, as yeah. well, right? Yeah, okay. before we move on to the next list, I just wanted to kind of lightly touch on a Twilight list, which is at the three-day event, mm-hmm. which is from Dylan Usher, mm-hmm. who I think plays a lot of TTS. Uh, yeah, he does. He does come to a number of events. Uh, is Dylan Usher, hold player. on a second, is he a UK mm-hmm. person? He is a UK oh, person. Oh, man. I'm yeah. sure I've chatted to him before, but... Eh. Huh. Yeah, I'm sure you've played him as I well. Have, he's yeah. on a lot of the tactical talks yeah, yeah. events and videos. So he's bringing uh, Twilight, huh? How does this... If, if you don't know anything about Harlequins, which I pretty much don't, how does this mm. differ from eight boats, couple of characters? So Twilight... Ha- it, so it doesn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> is the first thing. Okay. It still plays off of... He has seven boats. Okay. Yes, yeah, seven, seven boats and still all minimum squads of Harlequin troops. Mm. Still playing with a couple of Skyweavers and the usual kind of... A couple of Shadow Seers and a Troopmaster. Mm. Um, he's got a Death Jester as well. So th- the way the Twilight differs is that it's a little bit more punchy. Uh, you get plus one attack. And you also get a stratagem, which uh, is one CP, and your sixes to hit auto wound, mm-hmm. which really ups That's, the output yeah. of your troop units. Um, so he's gone for, compared to light, where you don't take many weapons on your Harlequin troop squads, he's gone for full weapons on all of these Harlequin troop squads. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still got two fusion pistols and two neuro disruptors, so he's still got a little bit of shooting. And now that's at the same range as playing it with light. Mm. Um, and importantly when you consolidate or pile in in twilight you get plus two inches to that mm, that's nice in the uktc faq they've ruled that there's a stratagem for for harlequins in general where when an enemy unit falls back from you you can you can uh pile in and follow them right now normally that's three inches of pile in and I'd say some TOs would rule that the plus two inches from Twilight don't add mm. to it, but in UKTC it does. Mm-hmm. So you're following someone five inches after and they fall back. And there's quite a few five-inch movement uh, platforms, right? Like Chaos Space Marines are oh, basically all five-inch. Sorry. Ha- uh, cross that out. Okay. That stratagem allows you to consolidate six inches. Oh, right. So it, it's eight inches with Twilight right. at this event. Cool. So that that's that's huge. So you can, <laughs> that's chase, really... you can chase everything in Demons. You can chase everything in Tyranids as well. You can chase a good amount of Necrons there as well, right? 
For sure. And with 12-inch um, moving units, it's it's very easy to really limit the, the direction that units can go yep. to escape that. Yep. Um, and, you know, they may not even be able to escape it at all. So very, very strong. And I think that's that one stratagem and that one trick makes me feel like Twilight is incredibly powerful. It's definitely um, pretty potent where in games at the top level where if you make a single kind of blunder, you can get shut out of the game. That's definitely a super good tool to have in your back pocket, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, because the way I've seen it being used before um, is when you're trying to take an objective back from a Harlequin unit that's tagged you in combat and you fall back out of it trying to shoot that unit off the objective. Mm. If you mess that up and you get tagged again, uh, which is very hard to escape now at Twilight, yeah. Yeah, you can't shoot them, and then it's very difficult to then put an obsec unit on there and take it away from the Harlequin troops, which is yeah. huge swing and often game-ending swings in primary. So if you're if you're a listener right now and you're against Harlequins, especially Twilight, I think it's really important just to have that three-minute kind of really just think through. Okay, I move this, he does, he piles in. Where can he go? Okay, and then if I do this one first across this one, he moves in, piles in. Where does he go? You know, and just take the time don't be lazy really think that out methodically because ultimately it is something that can be outplayed but obviously it still has a clear fundamental strength but it is something that's going to reward you as a player if you just take the time to think about it methodically consider it through before you just start picking up pieces and moving them for sure absolutely so yeah good luck to dylan with that very powerful uh twilight all right dylan we're rooting for you my boy you got come on bud (laughs) (laughs) i want to see dylan versus mike porter (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> that'll be we'll interesting comes up on top <laughs> perfect which one which list are you going to hit up now Dave? so i think the balanced data slate had a really interesting change for necrons right uh mm-hmm. necrons lost the silent king lost core so okay that's you know that's interesting and but they kept you know relentless expansionist uh eternal conqueror so obsec and six inch pregame move so i think Ooh, that really puts the Silent King in an interesting position. You know, is he worth it? Because his shooting platform has become significantly less reliable. You suddenly don't get to re-roll on your minis, which is kind of, uh, you know, he doesn't re-roll for himself in combat, which, okay, you know, decreases his, uh, decreases his output quite a bit. So what I thought was interesting, I was looking through the players, I saw Alex Harrison was submitting a list. So he's playing Necrons, and he played Necrons at LGT, and he had a little bit of a different list. He had a... Uh, Doom Scythe is or a Tomb Blade, um, where you can the you know the Necron aircraft and and like twenty yeah. flayed ones. So he was playing that bomb, uh, and uh, I think he got knocked down in the fifth round or the fourth round. So I thought it'd be interesting. Alex is a great player, extremely skilled. I thought it'd be really interesting to see what his list looked like after it. And then lo and behold, I saw that he wasn't playing Silent King. So he's got two thousand points of Necrons without the Silent King. So you know, well, let's see what we get here. In terms of characters, he's got. Uh, he's gone for the double Chronomancer and then Technomancer and then a Psychomancer. I don't actually know what the Psychomancer does, but okay. Uh, the Chronomancer, he's got uh, Veil of Darkness, pretty standard. Uh, and then on the other one, is just a base uh, Chronomancer. So I think the Chronomancer has put uh, two five-ups, uh, five invulnerables. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got he's the same unit of Scorpic Destroyers, which is... Uh, oh, no, sorry. He's got one unit of Scorpic Destroyers with hype phase, uh, two hype phase, uh, Reblades and four Threshers. Okay, pretty standard. And then another unit of Scorpic Destroyers with uh, four, um, uh, one Reblade, uh, four Threshers. Uh, yeah, that's so, a unit of five, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can only mix them in, mm-hmm. if you've got a certain number yeah. of them. And then he's got uh, nine Scarabs, nine Scarabs, eight Scarabs, 
five wraiths, five wraiths, five wraiths, and another Unoscopic Destroyers. And his only shooting in this list that I'm just realizing now is he's got three Tomb Blades. So actually, this has gone the complete opposite direction from where we previously were with Necrons. Uh, the direction being, you know, you'd always have that core unit of uh, Locust Destroyers that you could Veil of Darkness uh, and then full rerolls to hit, full rerolls to wound, and nuke something. So he's actually gone completely away from that. He's gone for the all melee list, similar to the list I lost at, uh, at the Unconquerable event with um, three units of five wraiths, uh, three units of nine scarabs. Uh, and instead of that big unit of destroyers, he's basically gotten kind of uh, one big unit of, oh, sorry, instead of the Silent King, he's basically gotten a six-man Scorpic Destroyer, uh, a, a five-man Scorpic Destroyer, and then um, three Tomb Blades instead of that 400-ish points. Yeah, so he's gone all melee, which is, uh, it's an interesting way to play Necrons. I think it's a bit of a risky one on UKTC, that's for sure, because we know that I, well, I think, I know Vic and I both think that the meta is going to get a bit heavy, shooting heavy for a while. Yeah, but is there, I mean, this is, this is thick, man. This is really it's pretty thick, thick yeah. So, six, six, five, score pack destroyers, yeah. three units of five, rates, nine, eight, eight, scarab swarm. So this is, this is a huge volume of wounds army. Mm -hmm. But you're right, you know, it's impossible to hide everything in, in this terrain setup. Um, flamers are so... pretty prevalent too, right? This Ooh, is yeah. flamers not... do a number, don't they? It's not the army I would want to play into 18 flamers. Ah, so... Interesting, really interesting. It's... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Alex does. It's very uh, one-dimensional, but yeah. It's... We'll but, but having I... said that, I think Alex would come back and probably say, Actually, Scorpic Destroyers are not great into Flames either. <laughs> and actually, Silent <laughs> King's not amazing into Flames either because you just have three up and runnable save, right? And it's D3 damage against Wound 3, True. which is a completely fair point. Um, so perhaps this does well. What do you think this list does like into Cal Space Marines? Oh, I think, you know, this list just doubles down on the key strength of Necrons, which is playing their secondaries and the primary. Mm. And the Necron list that I've been playing against with my Chaos Space Marines, I've noticed that they run out of stuff mm. by turn four or five. I don't think this runs out of stuff by turn four or five. Mm. Yep. And I think that might be key to just consistently putting 90 plus scores on the board, yeah. which is what you need. Because if you can just deny a little bit of primary, your opponent is not getting 90 plus. Mm. And this is what this list does. It doesn't matter if you get through it in five turns. Like if you only get through it at the end of your fifth turn, then it doesn't matter at all. Mm. So I think this is going to be extremely strong personally. And, um, you know, let's see how it does against the Flamers that are going to be at the event. Mm. But uh, I have a feeling that Alex is going to take this really far. We were talking about Anthony Vanella's list at Chaos Space Marines. And Vic, I think that you will be slightly familiar with this list. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, both of us talk to, to Anthony quite a lot. Yeah. He's, a, he's our good friend and we're super excited to, to kind of actually meet in person. Um, and Anthony is super um, into his Empress children. He's been playing them at a number of events in America and coming up with great success with them. Um, and Anthony's kind of, uh, like we've discussed and we kind of met in the middle with our lists and, and Anthony's taken a bit of inspiration from me. I've taken a bit from him mm -hmm. and he's ended up with uh, a list which is really similar to what I, I've been running at the previous few events. He's got the the kind of the classic demon prince. Mm -hmm. His little difference is here, he's running the reroll wounds warlord trait as well as mm -hmm. the mantle of traitors for reroll hits and throwing the uh, reroll ones to hit to different units across the board. Um, that change, uh, the, the demon prince is a change 
change in his list before he was running a disco lord mm. and the demon prince has been uh, something which he's told me he's really enjoyed using to open up some of the psychic secondaries, secondaries. yep that's it um and then he's got a dark apostle which you usually see with the the trans hitman ability and the no rerolls mm -hmm. uh, which you can put onto a friendly unit and then he's got the master of possession who can cast the three buffing spells mm -hmm. He's got one unit of cultists and five units of noise marines. So exactly the same setup as what I used at LGT. Yep. And then he's got a Chaos Terminator squad with no Melter. No Melter in there. And yeah, exactly the same number of power fists and combi uh, chain fists as I was using. I mean, you can't go uh, wrong with it, can you? I mean, this list it. is still really strong, right? He's got a Venom Crawler, um, which is the same as me. So everything is the same up to this point now, where okay. he changed my second Venom Crawler into a Chaos Spawn. That's 25 points. Mm -hmm. And the other 80 points goes into the key part of his list. He's named his army Execution uh, on, on BCB, <laughs> and it is a Master of Executions. What? So... The, what does this do? The master, the master of execution. So I did actually run one at the Glasshammer GT. Okay. Um, so you were the first person to run the master of execution, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> Anthony actually had a rhino in there. And uh, somehow I managed to convince him to swap the rhino out for this guy okay. because the rhino is very tough for, for Eldar to deal with. So I'm glad he's gone for this. So the master of executions <laughs> has a built-in six-inch heroic intervention. He's also the biggest beat stick in the army for his points cost. Mm -hmm. um, he has a warlord trait called hatred incarnate which lets him reroll all his hit rolls and gives him extra attack and strength so he's strength eight minus okay. three two damage with seven attacks um and whenever he rolls a six to hit he does two mortal wounds instead of any other damage mm -hmm. so you're going in fishing for sixes there's a slanesh stratagem to make one of your hit rolls into a six he consistently puts out four to six mortal wounds on his target mm -hmm. and with the six inch heroic intervention he controls a lot of space and controls objectives and he protects you from kind of uh, getting slapped by things by uh, throwing a fight last out just where you need it so mm -hmm. as much as i tease about anthony dropping the rhino for this i think the master of executions is a stronger choice Really? And a rhino in this army. Mm. Um, the rhino gives you a little bit of reach, but it is easier to hide two lines of five noise marines on UKTC terrain in one of your forward ruins than it is to hide a rhino in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, I, because I have tried the Rhino out and I wanted to add a Rhino out because I was like, I don't need Possessed if my uh, Noise Marines can move nine inches out of a Rhino. Mm. But it actually doesn't work very well on UKTC terrain at all. Right. And it also awkwardly gives a target to anti-tank guns yeah. uh, if you put them forward in any kind of way. Definitely. Um, so One thing I would say my, about the, the choice mm. of the Master of Execution is, is that is a melee beat stick, is that really the thing that you need? Completely agree. And I think um, actually the Master of Execution of the Chaos Spawn being a second Venom Crawler is the stronger yeah. build. Uh, because this... we believe that the meta is getting, well, we know for a fact that the meta is getting more shooty as well, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because I was listening to another, and I was listening to an Art of War kind of every Tuesday, they do a little chat about the meta. Sure. And they were saying that the meta is becoming less shooty. Mm which really confused me. But I, definitely over here, we're finding that people are leaning into shooting more yep. um, as it becomes more and more challenging to get melee units across the board safely. For sure. And flamers certainly make it very difficult to get melee units staged in the middle of the mm. board. But I think one of the largest reasons why the meter is getting more shooty is because of the domination of one of these lists that we're going to talk about now, uh, which is Tau. And mm -hmm. <sighs> Tau's an interesting one because unfortunately the best way to combat tau is actually to shoot back which is 
it's a bit frustrating of an army for that reason because when you introduce it into the meta when it is strong it doesn't create dynamic metas it it forces it um into its own game plan which is, is, is why it's so strong so we're gonna have a chat about nasim fushane's uh towel list actually and who yeah he recently came second at the london grand tournament and um thought this would be interesting to see how these towel lists have changed and i think nasim fushane uh carl grundy uh, brian sip i think his name is as well who plays for team scotland and uh, also Conrad Butter, which is our teammate's brother, is playing, uh, all playing Tower. And their lists are all very similar. So this seems to be where the convergence of Tower Mines have have come to. I'll run you guys through the list. It's Farsight Enclaves, of course. It's got uh, two commanders, 20 crude, five crude hounds, or four crude hounds. And it's got three Farsight Marksmen. I'm not sure what they do, but Vic will run me through it. It's got two Riptides battle suits. Uh, it's got two Sunstrike Bombers, <laughs> of course. And then it's got five, uh, you know, five battle suits with two shield drones. And it's got, you know, three battle suits as well. So what is, as a non-Tau player, it seems mm-hmm. interesting that people have moved into Riptide battle suits. For me, they're, a, I always thought they were quite, quite reasonably good, but they haven't really shown up that much. And maybe is this a response to the fact that Tau and shooting is becoming more popular they want to have a more tankier thing. What are your what are your kind of thoughts on this thing? Yeah, so the the Riptide battle suits have two major advantages. One is that the Ion Accelerator, which is a four damage like big mm. gun, is actually quite effective at killing kind of terminators and generally is quite good in the meta, where we're not seeing massive hordes of, of units at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it also comes with the ability to one of its Nova Charge Reactor abilities is to move in the charge phase, so you can move out, shoot, and then in the charge phase bounce back mm-hmm. behind obscuring terrain. So. If you have two Riptides and one big Crisis Suit unit that is using the Stretch and Strike and Fade to shoot and then move again, um, that gives you three powerful units that are kind of shooting and then bouncing back, so mm. not interactive. Commanders also really love Riptide battle suits and using them to bodyguard themselves, so you can kind of get multiple units that are putting out huge damage output but not really being able to be shot back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, What's the uh, what are the firesight marks, man? I don't think I've ever seen those before. So I think what Nas has done here is he's really had to trim his list down so that he's able to take two crisis suit units and two riptides. Mm-hmm. Normally, you'd you'd have to pick three of those things and take them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's what he's done is he's dropped a commander here. And by dropping a commander, he only has two characters that he can take warlord traits on. Mm-hmm. So he's essentially looked for one of the cheaper characters that he can take. Uh, so that he can take his third warlord trait. In this case, the Firesight Marksman is a character and has the redeploy warlord trait, exemplar of the Kaoyon. Mm. Um, the Firesight Marksman is interesting. It's like a mini Shadow Sun, uh, Commander Shadow Sun, because he can't be targeted from outside 12 inches. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite nice to put on to an objective and just help you control your primary. Because another thing Nas has done here is really cut down his chaff. Mm. He has two units of 10 crude. And then he has a single unit of Crute Hounds. Mm-hmm. So he's working on really minimal chaff here. Uh, and I think that is probably the underlying weakness of the list. Like, And I've noticed that with Tau a lot. Uh, kill their crew, kill their chaff, and they have to put important things on the objectives. Mm. And I love what he's done by taking a Firesight Marksman to try and work his way around that a little bit. Mm. Give you another unit there. We'll, we'll, we'll try and thicken up the list with other things. Yeah, it's interesting. Sure. I think, like I was saying before, is that the media has become more and more shooty because of lists such as this have become a lot more prevalent in the UK. And 
we'll jump straight on to kind of well we'll jump on soon to what our lists are but i think what that's kind of been the largest changing factor i think in the last month and a half to two months right vic is that the prevalence of these towel lists have become ever so more popular and uh, that in chaos space marines uh, really kind of they took over the meta from i guess tyranid domination where you know actually Amelia was quite good against tyranids to some degree or mortal mm-hmm. wounds were and then actually the meta has just shifted into um being able to um attack opponents while not being in combat with them oh for sure definitely and um you know, I think this Tau list is uh, probably one of the strongest lists in the game at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what makes you know, it? What, good what luck. You, why is oh, it so yeah. potent? Do you think? What? What really? I, I think it sits perfectly in the meta because it's able to kill the the heavy tanky stuff like the Chaos Terminators running into the middle. Mm. They will die to this Tau list even when buffed. Mm. Um, and it also kills like the little sneaky things like sisters or Eldar that are trying to hide behind ruins because the Sunshark Bombers are probably one of the best units in the game. Mm-hmm. The amount of output and reach that they have is unparalleled in the game. Mm-hmm. And I think the Sunshark Bombers alone remove so many of the bad matchups for Tau. Yeah. Um, <laughs> saying that, I think uh, Tau still have a couple of awkward games. They're not beyond beating. Uh, they're not Definitely broken not. necessarily. Um, and a couple of the armies which they struggle against, say, like Harlequins being directly on top of them, that's a really tough game. Mm. And demons with their invulnerable saves, particularly on the Zinch things against shooting, um, can be really tough for Tau to chew through. Mm-hmm. And both of those armies are very strong in the meta. Definitely. Very strong in the meta. We will see on the demon one. <laughs> that's a great segue. <laughs> Let's chat about what actually, what did we bring? Um, you know, I think in, I, I've been stewing over for a little bit what I've got to take. I think the last episode I was really, oh man, I think we were both, to, both to be fair, I think we were sitting on the fence on what we were actually going to end up on, mm-hmm. weren't we? Oh, hundred, yeah, for sure. And I think um, both of us had a sensible choice, mm. uh, <laughs> which was you going for Kraken Nids yep. and me going for uh, Emperor's Children. Mm-hmm. And both of us decided against the sensible <laughs> choice. <laughs> The proven, as in, and, and when you say sensible choice, you mean, and this is potentially for a viewer as well, if you're thinking about tournaments, uh, repeatable experience, right? Like known kind mm-hmm. of results, you know, walking into something in your comfort zone was something that you know is strong. We both kind of went against that. Um, so what were your reasons for taking Eldar? Yeah, so I did end up switching to my Eldar list. Uh, I love Eldar. <laughs> like, um, like, I'd say that's my base camp of the kind of aesthetic and lore and models mm-hmm. that I love and the playstyle as well. You, you know how happy I was during the time <laughs> when Hail of Doom was really good. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love that. And uh, to be able to find a strong build again in Eldar has made me really happy. And I've settled on a combination of swift strikes, which allows you to advance and then counters remaining stationary. It's very powerful for both battle focusing um, and battle. some units battle focus really well, mm-hmm. like swooping hawks, which can completely redeploy. So being able to advance, shoot, and then redeploy your swooping hawks is extremely powerful. Uh, but it also really helps heavy weapons. Uh, being able to advance and shoot scatter lasers really opens up a lot of uh, output from units that are not commonly seen, yeah, like shroud runners. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I settled on it because I think the combination of swift strikes and ignore cover on AP zero weaponry is very powerful into, particularly CSM mm-hmm. uh, and, and tell the right. right. 
Yeah, okay, they do have a little bit of 2 plus save, but mm -hmm. we have access to Jinx for minus 1 save. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's strength 6 breakpoint on scatter lasers, for example. Right. Very good into Tau Flyers, very good into suits, yep. and incredibly good into kind of clearing chaff like Kroot. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, so Run I think through. it has a wide... Yeah. I was going to say, run me through your list uh, from top to bottom before we get into... Shall we do it? Go for it, of course. Okay. Let, let me get it up in front of me Ooh. so that I don't miss don't anything. Don't miss any, I think, any of the spots. I think, I think a lot of people will be interested in this kind of Eldar concept because I think Craftworld Eldar have been really suffering uh, for a while now. But hey, uh, before you get, get up your list, and I'm going to go on and talk about something. You know, yeah. it's very interesting, a meta, how a meta evolves and how some things that were in a previous meta suboptimal suddenly become good because of other armies that have become good. Previously, mm -hmm. Vic would never have submitted this if Harpies were in the meta. If, if I think if there were more than two popular if there was more than one popular army with uh, with harpies with aircraft, sorry, mm -hmm. I don't think you would have submitted this. And 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 what I mean by that is, if there were sunshark bombers and harpies being prevalent in the top tables, I don't think you would have gone for this because this list does suffer versus aircraft as well, right? Yeah, it suffers versus aircraft and indirect fire. Yeah. But now that at that's, the moment, uh, but now that that's yeah, gone, you know, it's, you know. Mm. There's, there's definitely hope for it. Yeah. And the list is built into two detachments, an Outrider and a Patrol mm -hmm. detachment. The Outrider detachment has um, Bahrok, um, two units of five Howling Banshees. One of them has Mirror Swords and Piercing Strikes. The other one has uh, Crone Scream and Nerve Shredding Shriek. So one is a two damage, 10 attack unit. The other one has all the mortal wounds coming out of it. Mm -hmm. There's 26 Swooping Hawks in that detachment, 10, 10, 6. Mm -hmm. There's three units of single vipers. There's um, in the patrol detachment, there's five rangers, 10 dire avengers with shredding fire, five striking scorpions with biting blade and crushing blow, and two units of three shroud runners. There's also a whole range of psychers. I have two farseer sky runners on jet bikes. Um, one has doom execution, the other one has guide focus will. And then we have a unit of three warlock sky runners in a seer council. Mm -hmm. They have Quicken, Restrain, and Enhance and Drain, which is a plus one to hit, minus one to hit. Yep. Um, and then a, a single Warlock Skyrunner on a jet bike with Protect Chinks. Mm -hmm. Now, that is the whole list, but there's a huge amount of detail to unpack mm -hmm. in the list. And I just, I'm not going to do absolutely Go everything. Go through some highlights. Unpack a couple of highlights. In fact, in terms of what we've been talking about recently, in terms of ticking mm -hmm. towards, uh, towards list, let's mm -hmm. pick, out, pick out three or four highlights and why exactly you've chosen sure. So I have three particular tech pieces in here that are suited to the meta. Mm -hmm. The first tech piece is that I personally... Oh, no, actually, I've got four big tech pieces mm -hmm. here. So the first big tech piece is that I wanted to have something to deal with Thousand Suns and Flamers because I personally rate them as the best army in the game. Now, interestingly, I think there are zero, zero. Thousand Suns and Flamers mm -hmm. at this event, uh, which is incredible to me, but it, it is what it is <laughs> because AP zero shooting, uh, one damage shooting, is extremely poor into Thousand Suns, mm -hmm. even the Rubric Marines. Even if you ignore their cover, they still get a two plus save mm -hmm. against it. Um, so in order to account for that, I have a unit of 10 Dire Avengers with Shredding Fire, which triggers off their AP minus four uh, wounds on a five plus rather than a six plus. Nice. If you do J Doom Guide and Jinx on a unit of Scarab Occult Terminators, on average, you kill about eight with Bladestorm. From 10 um, Dire Avengers? Yep, exactly, oh with Guide and Bladestorm. So it's huge output. Wow. So that is, that's an absolute tech piece against Thousand Sun Scarab Occult Terminators. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> uh, second tech piece is um, 
dealing with flamers. I have two units of five Howling Banshees in this list. Uh, both of them can ignore Overwatch. And the way I've set it up is one of the units has the two damage hits uh, with 10 attacks, and the other one has an Executioner, which is a two damage weapon. And that, that girl has five attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I modified my list so that I was able to take three Warlock powers and have added an Enhance and Drain into this list. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you put plus one to hit onto the Howling Banshees, they're just about able to kill four or five Flamers, yep. um, which is which is a big difference to a test game that we had where <laughs> I was struggling to do any damage yeah. to the Flamers. Yeah. But the plus one to hit is the key breakpoint for, sure. for all of this. Um, third tech piece is dealing with uh, Sunshark Bombers. So the way I've set up my Swooping Hawks is one of the units of Swooping Hawks has one of the sh- Shrine Relics, which is called the Phoenix Plume. Mm-hmm. As long as the Exarch's alive, the unit has a 5 plus Feel No Pain. Mm. And then I've also given him an Exarch power. The Exarch power I've given him is called Suppressing Fire. When he hits an enemy unit, um, on, you roll 3d6. If you exceed the enemy unit's leadership, you turn off their overwatch. Nice. And they can't do actions, which is powerful into Tau and into Flamers. But importantly, it gives him an extra wound on his profile. Ah. On, so you can take those uh, models that you're going to be taking from the Sunshine Bombers. Correct, basically. exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, my units of Swooping Hawks are 10, 10, 6. Yeah. Um, if I lose first turn, I can just Phantasm the second unit of 10 off the table, mm-hmm. and I can just leave him with one big unit to, to put his bombs through. Mm-hmm. And then I'll take the, the first set of bombs just on, on models, uh, normal Swooping Hawks, and the second set of bombs I'll take it on models, but also I'll take two mortal wounds on the XR. Right. So that minimizes my casualties. Yeah. And it should be, uh, I should still have about six left, which is quite nice. Um, through all of that, through two bombs bom- mm. bombing me. So that helps me with that. But the big tech piece that I've added into this list to A, deal with Tau and also deal with other Eldar lists because I had a feeling I was discussing Swift Strikes a little bit. <laughs> people, you know, people have a tendency to kind of run a similar thing to me sometimes, especially even really good players. Um, so there are a couple of other players with Swift Strikes lists. And the Shroud Runners with Ballistic Skill 2, a Scatter Laser on each model, and they get a pre-game move, and they can also advance and fire their scatter lasers in this list, mm-hmm. means that if I go first against another Eldar player with the same list as me, um, uh, three Shroud Runners with Guide on them, their core, so they can take Guide, will kill 10 Swooping Hawks, even if they put the minus one to hit on them. Nice. Um, so, which is brutal yeah. in the mirror. And you you can't you can't hide from that. They move sixteen and then move twenty two. So yeah. they're they're moving they're moving with thirty eight before before shooting exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, but also, because they're strength six, they're very uh, decent into Sunshark Bombers. Mm-hmm. So I have a very good chance with two units of Shroud Runners to kill a Sunshark Bomber. Mm-hmm. And them dropping down to a single Sunshark Bomber is a massive benefit for me. Yeah. I, if I can't get to the Sunshark Bombers because they put them into strategic reserves, I will happily trade the Shroud Runners, for example, in Nassim's list for the Crute and the Crute Hounds. Yep. And then just let him just put the real things on the board. Yeah, and then he was never going to be able to bomb me anyway. Yeah. And I'm never going to let him get line of sight to the Swooping Hawk. So yeah. nice. um, the Shroud Runners are an awesome tech piece for 105 points. The, can I say one more tech piece? Fine. So <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the Shroud Runners are a big tech piece for dealing with Chaos Terminators. And I am going to leave it at that and come back to it after the event on this, uh, <laughs> because I think uh, that's my little secret tech piece. But some people have heard it from me already. Secret tech piece. There we go. Mm-hmm. All the tech. I mean, and that's a great example of, uh, you know, looking at A, who is going to turn up, 
be what the very popular lists are going to be, you know, two weeks from now. So when, when we're thinking about what our list design is going to be and what we're going to practice. And then uh, C, implementing those specific tech pieces against very specific units in very specific circumstances. Because it's no surprise that Vic and I focus on those games at the end of the tournament uh, where we know, uh, well, where we believe it's much going to be much more likely uh, to to face specific circumstances like double Sunshark Bomber uh, in games when we can lose, right? So it's good to, it's good to have the tech pieces and really understand and get ingrained in your local meter as well. For sure. And Dave, I know you've got the Chaos Demons, you've got some practice games in. Where are we at? What's your list looking like? I got the Demons. And, uh, you know, I've been having a lot of fun playing them. It's been great playing something different for a change. Uh, I mean, I must be over 150 games deep on tournaments as well. So it's mm-hmm. nice playing something else. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy with what I've, uh, what I've come to in the conclusion. I, you know, I know in our team chat, I've been posting a lot of lists, um, all with the central core theme, but I've, I've hammered out through playtesting things that I do and don't like. So this is a list. I've got a battalion and a patrol. I start on one CP. So I've got um, Bloodthirster with eight wounds per phase, five up feel no pain, and the relic for plus one damage, and importantly, ignore hit and wound modifiers. So he basically always swings on twos into twos, which is great. Uh, and then I've got a change caster with the endless grimoire. And then I've also got, uh, he's got retained two warp storm points, and he's also got plus one to wound initially. And then he can learn a spell as well after that every turn. So it's great. And then I've got a trance weaver. And I've gone for the five up Fiono pain on the transfer, and I'll come back to that in a second. Then I've got 30 blood letters, and I've got 20 demonettes. I've got six flamers, six flamers, six flamers, and then I've got Bellacore as well. And on Bellacore, I'm actually playing Shrouded Steps, so that's the teleport infantry unit. And then I'm playing, I believe it's called Wreathed Shadow. So that is another little tech piece that I've got going as well. But all in all, I think the demons are reasonably strong. I don't think they're as good, especially on UKTC, as some people seem to be jumping to conclusions about because of this week's, uh, previous week's event results. I think Demons apparently went X and 1 maybe the most out of any faction, but mm-hmm. I think you'll you'll agree with me here because it's not actually, X and one's an interesting statistic, but really at the end of the day, it's who's winning the tournaments. It's who's in the top four. And I don't think demons were massively representative. I know in Kansas, it was only, I think the top four, there was one demon player, but he was playing like a monster mash list. Um, or basically it was only like uh, flamers and, uh, and many chimas list. So demons are in an interesting spot. I think they've still got everything to prove. And I don't think uh, they are as megalomaniacally strong as the, the, the percentage win rate results have um, really taken them so far. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you may have got that statistic wrong because I'm looking at the Meta okay. Monday. Uh, so the biggest event had Flamers in second and third and fifth. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Uh, uh, is this Mono Demons or Flamers in them? Uh, two of them Chaos Demons, one T-Suns and Flamers. At Kansas City? Yep, oh, okay. that's Sorry. right, man. The top five. Um, and then there's the third event, 50 player, five round. Chaos Demons won it, 5-0. Okay. Um, yeah, there's another one, Chaos Demons first, second. So Chaos Demons okay. are They're coming really... out swinging. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, here, and, and look, 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 this is what this is what we come for, right? Is that, you know, this is how, you know, as we're talking about the start of the podcast, about, right? how do you analyze event results uh, mm. to your local meta? Do you still think they're strong? Because UKTC, as we've talked about, 
it has become more of a shooting meta and i think that's clearly only that's that's definitely bad for demons demons don't like getting shot off the board but having said that i've got a few couple of tech pieces there i chose to run the bloodthirster with eight wound uh phase cap and uh the reason i've done that is because like against legs of otan for example um okay that's fantastic <laughs> against uh tyranids even you know he's still really good there against uh against eldar he's He's still good like you don't really want to get into combat with him you're going to get a couple of turns out of him uh his big letdown is that he's only one model so you have to be really precise on where you put him because he's probably going to be there for the rest of the game uh but then i've also got on my change caster i ended up going with the endless grimoire so that i could learn uh some psychic powers now there's one psychic power called um infernal flames no bolt of change sorry uh bolt, bolt of change is basically voice. roll 96 on a five up you take a mortal and every model you lose, you take another mortal wound, 18-inch range. So on average, Vic, that kills, I think, about seven Swooping Hawks because you suffer three, and then you suffer three more, and then you've got morale. Does it not need line of sight? It does, it does need line of sight, though. So oh, Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> but there's another thing, though, is that you can one CP, you can teleport the Herald as well. So mm -hmm. what my game plan here is I've, I've kind of built him into another threat and that I'm going to you know learn two powers throughout the course of the game and then be able to teleport him, and then for one CP, cast an additional spell. So I get three cast, three Witchfire out of him. So actually, mm -hmm. kind of at the end of the game, it can be a little thing that I can move around the board and soak up some damage. And like, for example, against Harlequins, that's really good for demons, because, you know, you roll that against five troop, five troop dead. So um, yeah. happy with that change that I've made. And then I've ran the, uh, the Trance Weaver. I've actually gone for the five up Feel No Pain. Now, I can only put that on my 20 demonettes, but I think that's a little bit better than the exploding sixes and um, a plus one attack. Primarily because you usually kill what you get into combat with, and surviving afterwards with the five up feel no pain can be really strong. So if you're minus one to hit from your warp storm points, you have a four up and vulnerable and five up feel no pain, it's actually quite difficult to kill uh, demonettes because it's just you know, four up and vulnerable, five up feel no pain, and it's basically an effective three up um and on a 10 on 10 models so i've gone with that choice i've gone to make them a little more tankier and then i've also gone with the untargetable outside of 12 inches which i think for uktc is kind of is really powerful for demons because like we talked about about tau you and even cow space marines you want to you need to have something on that outside objective and if you can have obsec there with like blood letters or demonets and then make them untargetable then that's really good you won't get shot off the board so much yeah that sounds sounds really good and mm -hmm. uh, you know i think a big thing i noticed in practice games uh, against chaos demons is that they really punish any kind of little mistakes mm. that the players make and um i think in the hands of a very good player chaos demons are going to be very strong but inversely i think a very good player who understands kind of how to screen and movement and everything properly can also make it difficult for chaos demons yep. Um, so yeah, I think Chaos Demon is very balanced, very interesting army, and I'm excited to see uh, see how you get on. To be honest, yeah, I think you've hit it on the nose there. We've had a couple of practice games. We had a great practice game last night. Actually, I played against uh, Liam VSL, uh, who is the Team Belgium player who kind of brought the list for Thousand Suns and Flamers. Probably the best player in the world in that. Uh, ended up losing seventy one seventy eight. Uh, it was a really good game though, but and it was uh, really close. Definitely some things I could have done differently, but. I think Liam and I both said after the, you know, 
playing playing at a practice game on against demons is one thing when you haven't got a pressure of the clock and what like that but to replicate that under clock conditions um when there's pressure and you've played a lot of games is a whole nother beast entirely so i'm hoping that the demons are going to perform a little bit better in real life um and when people are under pressure and i i know that for a fact that even myself you know you tend to make mistakes when you're under pressure and what like that and demons are an army where you know they can be they've got quite a few tricks right they're kind of gene stealer cultish um in that way they've got a lot going on so i'm hoping that uh, i'll be able to ride some of those player mistakes to a win 100 <laughs> percent. and I, I also had a couple of nice little practice games i played against francois from can hammer mm-hmm. uh if you guys have not like listened to that podcast it's really really good uh and francois is so lovely he uh won a wins multiple gts he um is currently playing with Kraken Tyranids mm-hmm. and he tried that against my Swift Strikes Eldar. He was really patient with me as I was trying to get to grips with uh playing TTS and 26 swooping hawks <laughs> using a trackpad. Um but we ended up with a really close game which I just about scraped for a win on 9287. Mm. Um uh, I learned to respect the movement of Raveners mm. especially when Tyranids get to go first because yeah. there is literally nowhere to hide. So yeah. uh it was a good discu- discussion point and he helped me kind of work out which units are best for me to throw away on that first turn. Mm. Um, ultimately, though, he did end up giving me too many of his resources um, in the mid game and uh, he ended the game with not enough units to be able to control the primary and I managed to catch up right at the end. And that's how uh, the list kind of operates, though, right? You kind of... Yeah, hide, down, kill, kill win. And then when the swooping hawks can shoot and then be more aggressive afterwards, you really put the pressure mm-hmm. on him, don't you? Yeah, you have to be really patient. Turn four and five is when you try and win the game. Yeah. Uh, but to get there, A, you need to have enough time on the clock, which is something I'm going to really struggle with. Mm-hmm. And B, you need to really be on the ball with uh, kind of your game plan. Otherwise, you're just going to miss the opportunities. Yeah, exactly. And uh, But I mean, that's the sign of a great list, right? Those, those are the types of lists and the type of Warhammer that we want to see play. Um, you know, not yeah. autopilot stuff. Um, so I think we've both got great lists. I think, you know, what do you think? Just to close it off, if you had to put money on one faction winning, we won't go players this time. One faction winning, what would you put it on? My pick, I think the safest pick from an odds perspective yeah. relative to faction strength, and uh, I think that's going to be Tau for me. Okay. I think there's a very high chance that Tau wins this event. I think... I think Mike Porter might win this event. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine? <laughs> I, that would be man, really you know? good. Mike's Mr. Because... If anything, Mike is extremely consistent. You oh, know? He is. Very good player. Yeah. So it's. I think Mike's got a good shot. And you know what I'm hoping? I'm hoping Mike can take out some. <laughs> Mike can take out some of these Tau and some of these oh, Harlequins for me, and then uh, Mister Demon can, uh, you know, make a few moves in there. <laughs> so. I was, I was hoping you would take out the Tau for me, and I was hoping everyone would take out the Tau for me. But what, when I said, "Can you imagine about Mike?" It's not that. Uh, can you imagine Mike winning a major because Mike is insanely good? What I meant is, can you imagine Light Harlequins after this nerf winning a super major? Yep. Can you imagine the chaos on the internet? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> but we'll have to see, and. Uh, only time will tell we've got the event this weekend i'm even playing a practice game tonight against dino uh from netherlands i believe um he'll correct me um but lovely guy we met at lgt as well so more practice for me and demons i'm getting more and more reps in and i'm feeling more and more comfortable with the list as well and you know it's it's fun you know and those charges they're not nine inches you know there's some you know they're fives (laughs) they're sixes sometimes they're even threes so it's a little bit more consistent than i'd imagine as well so yeah i'm looking forward to it 
as always guys you know hit us up with a like subscribe drop a comment and your questions and you know your thoughts about what we said about the meta would be really interested to hear what you have to think as well and uh yeah thank you for joining us for this one and see you at the next 40k fireside thank you for listening to the 40k fireside podcast Vic and I hope you've enjoyed listening and we greatly appreciate any feedback that you can provide after the show. 